I want to thank you for joining us today on Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio preaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're in the middle of a series called The Revival We Need, and today we're going to listen to the first part of a message called The Transforming Impact of Humility Before God. Love this text. Let's go to Isaiah 66. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to join together uh, with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who have a passion for your word. Lord, with new visitors that are uh, hearing your word this morning, we pray that they would be encouraged. Lord, we pray that everything we do would honor and glorify your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we look forward to the prayer night and worship night uh, this evening. I pray that you would draw many people together as we cry out to you in behalf of our church and in other items as well, and we lift high the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we go to your word, that you would speak to us, that our hearts would be open, that your spirit would be active. Uh, Lord, we humble ourselves before you when you ask that you would work in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go ahead and grab a copy of God's word, and we're going to be digging right into God's word uh, right away. You know, as I think about my life, your life, as we think about revival, and we've been talking about this series called The Revival We Need, I think today we're going to actually hit one of the critical points in terms of whether we will experience all that God has for us in our lives or we will constantly be running into barriers. Now, maybe you feel like you've hit a bit of a stuck season or you feel like at various times you're asking this question, what is God looking for out of my life? Am I doing what he wants me to do? Am I stuck because I'm waiting? Am I stuck because I'm doing something wrong? How do I know what God wants me to do for my life right now in this season? Well, that's the kind of a question that's been in your mind lately uh, or one you've thought of before. Uh, We're going to be digging right into that question. Why don't you turn in your Bible with me uh, to Isaiah chapter 66. It's the last chapter in the book of Isaiah. You know, someone said, uh, and I think it's especially true uh, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, that if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, my greatest friend is humility and my greatest enemy is pride. And I think that's true. If you're following Jesus Christ and you've uh, chosen that he is going to be my Lord and Savior, you will find that pride is your greatest enemy and humility is your greatest friend on the journey of faith following Jesus Christ. Uh, The title of of the message this morning is The Transforming Impact of Humility Before God. The Transforming Impact of Humility before God. And you know, we live in a nation that celebrates pride, pride of all different kinds. Christians often celebrate pride. Us, me, we are awesome. And yet God's perspective is so much different. And I believe that if we're going to see the revival we need, we're going to have to have a different approach with our hearts uh, before the Lord. Now, again, if you're in Isaiah chapter 66, Again, this question of what is God really looking for in my life, or said another way, what impresses God? What, when God looks at the whole universe, and then this little speck called earth, and then all the way down into earth, and this world that's huge to us, and he looks at our individual lives, what impresses God? What gets God like, 
wow, that's something I need to look at. That's something that needs my attention. That is something that excites me. What is it that impresses God? Well, that's the question we're going to begin reading here. Uh, Chapter 66, we'll look at verse 1 first. It says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. That's kind of a way of putting earth in perspective. Okay, it's not even as big as a footstool to God, so to speak. God is spirit. But what he's saying is the earth is just this kind of secondary, third, it's, it's not even that great. What we view as awesome and huge and great, God's like not super impressed with that. He continues, he says, and what is the house that you would build for me? Think of the most impressive church that could be built or really the ultimate place of worship. Think of a Solomon's temple. Beautiful, gold, silver, just a, a magnificent place of worship. God's spirit itself had come down into this place. The glory of God was in this place, and yet he continues, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hands have made. And all these things came to be, declares the Lord. He's saying it with the spirit of, but I'm not really that impressed. But then he continues, he says, but this this is the one to whom I will look. I want to pause there. What God is saying is, this is what gets my attention. Now, we all have different things that get our attention, and we see something happening, like, wow, that's impressive. We hear something over the news, like, that's incredible. Did you hear about that? And, you know, then sets Twitter on fire. I want to talk today about what God gets impressed by. Because I think sometimes we get excited about, even in our faith, the things that we get excited about. But our faith is not about us. It's about following God. It's about what God is impressed by and us following him, us putting our lives into and leaning into him by faith. What is it that impresses God? Well, God answers that question. In fact, you can write this down. God esteems your commitment to lower yourself. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. In fact, we're going to see three different ways that God wants us to lower ourselves. You know, we ask this question, what would you expect to impress God? Uh, Spoiler alert, it's not what you would think. You know, most of us who have been Christians for a period of time, or maybe you've been around the church, maybe you went to, you grew up in the church and kind of went your own way, and now you're just kind of checking out what is this whole church thing about? I, I have a sense of emptiness, and I'm wondering, what is God after? Where is there meaning in life? And here's the thing that Christians often do. We can, without realizing it, think that what impresses God is the person that's got it all together, right? They, they, they look the part. They, they come to church. They're all smiling. They, they seem like the family I wish my family was like. And we think of the person that really doesn't have a messy past, right? Even before they came to Christ, they generally did things the right way. They were a good citizen. Uh, maybe they were in their church all their lives. And you look at them and you go, man, that's the person they must get God fired up because they so have it together. They don't have any past. They don't have any drama. They don't have any history. Or sometimes we, we think of someone that knows God's word really well. And we're like, man, that must have impressed God because God's so fired up about his word. This is truth. This is hope. God wants us to be in his word. So that that person that I'm sitting next to that's read all the way through the Bible and memorized some verses and really understands theology, that is the person that impresses God. Or sometimes we think maybe it's the person that serves. 
Man, they're serving all the time. They're, they're giving of themselves for others. They're serving in children's ministry. You know, man, if you're serving in children's ministry, man, you get like extra credit in heaven. Like they're, they're doing a great job. They're not even in the service all the time. They're serving families they're, or, or the ushers or, or someone behind the scenes. Man, they must really get extra credit because they're serving the Lord and that must impress God. That's not, those are good things. Those are things that God appreciates but here is the thing that impresses God look back at the text with me it says this is the one to whom I will look this is what impresses me he who is humble or she who is humble humble I want you to think about that word we're going to dig through these three items uh, over the next couple of minutes here but I want you to think about this word humble what does it mean to be humble that God is looking down on someone who is humble now sometimes we say well they're kind of self-effacing that person's humble well really the biblical definition of humility is a little more to unpack than just that I want to read a quote to you that I read from a man named Gary Smith he was commenting on this verse and he said the word humble or poor or afflicted that's the Hebrew word here often refers to an oppressed person because of social or material or political powerlessness. Now, that's not exactly what it's talking about. We're going to actually be looking at the metaphorical meaning. He continues, the metaphorical meaning would refer to those who are not proud or arrogant in spirit, but realize that they are deeply dependent on God are unworthy to come into his presence and owe everything they have to God. The humble exalt God while the proud exalt themselves. Okay, a humble person is a person who has perspective on God correct. They're about exalting God and lifting him up. Less of me, more of him. That is the focus of the humble person. They, they know that it's not them that got themselves to a good place. It's not them that, that had the right sense of mind to embrace the gospel. It was God reaching out to them. It was grace that saved them. They see God is the great one. God is the one who does all things. That, in the words of John 15, apart from God, we can do nothing. We think about this word humble. Think of some other maybe descriptors, things like teachable, others focused, a servant mindset first toward God, then toward others, a grateful spirit. You ever noticed around someone that's humble who's always about what God is doing? Well, you wouldn't believe what God did for me today. And they have such a sweet spirit and a spirit of gratitude. But, but here's the thing I want you to get more than anything else. A humble spirit is a person who's dependent on God. They don't have this, you know, constant slime of self-sufficiency oozing out of their soul. They have a sense of, without God, I'd be nothing. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be in the place that I am. I wouldn't be able to love others. I wouldn't be able to forgive others. I am dependent upon God. Let me ask you to write the first of these three key elements today that we're going to grab out of this text. God esteems your commitment to lower yourself into greater dependence on him. God esteems it. It impresses God when he watches you and me lowering ourselves 
into greater dependence. You know, think of this wall here. You know, I'm sort of not really depending on this wall much, am I? But if I leaned into the wall, and if I put all my full weight on the wall, I'm depending on, you see, sometimes we almost live independent of God. That is not humility. Greater dependence, greater acknowledgement of who God is in my need for him. Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church Columbus. If you're listening to Meeting with God, you're clearly interested in God's Word. One of the great joys of my life is seeing people grow together in God's Word on a weekly basis, and these messages are a part of our weekend services. If you don't have a church family, let me invite you to join us this weekend. Our church home is located in Columbus near Route 315 and Henderson Road. Details are available at verticalchurch.life. Think of this. Dependence invites God's grace. Pride invites God's discipline. So however you're going to respond to this text, you're inviting God's response. If you depend on God in greater ways, say, Lord, I've been trying to do it on my own. I've been trying to, uh, you might even be trying to work out your salvation as though you can work your way into heaven. You can't do that, okay? Your good works amount to nothing apart from the grace of God. Okay? You, can't, you need to depend on Jesus for the full forgiveness of your sins. Grace saved me, God saved me, but now I got it on my own. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my family in order. I'm going to do these, all these other things. I'm going to live a good life in my own strength. The answer is that's not how you do that. doesn't impress God. What impresses God is the person who leans in to God for his grace. You're on this topic of pride. If I could just speak bluntly to you for a moment. God despises pride, no matter what other good things you're doing. Let me say that again. God despises your pride, my pride. And it doesn't matter what other good things we're doing. Sometimes we have this idea, well, if I'm doing all those other good things, God will overlook some of my pride. Listen, sometimes our good works, we end up putting pride. It's about me. It's about, I want everybody to look at me and be impressed. And I do all these things. And really the heart behind it is, it's all about me. And God despises that. He despises that. Obviously, our heart this morning is not to do what God despises, but to do the opposite. We want to do what draws God's esteem, what impresses God. Think about it this for a moment. Each of us are going in one of two directions. When it comes to our ego, our sense of value, our sense of pride, if you will, or where we're going with our sense of self, We're either moving in a a direction of a diminishing ego, more of God, less of me trying to impress everybody, more of people being impressed with God, more of people seeing Jesus through my life, a diminishing ego or of a hardening ego. Because pride not only inflates our sense of self, it also hardens our hearts against what God is trying to do. And if you choose to embrace a heart of pride, whether you're a believer or not, your heart will get harder and harder because you're always trying to manipulate the people and things in your life to make you the center. You be looked at good. You have all the praise. You, you, me, me, me. Well, clearly that's not God's heart for us. The first thing that impresses God is a greater dependence 
not on me, but on him. Let's look at a second thought here. Right in the text, uh, look back at verse uh, 2 with me. It says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I want to look here at this. It says, he who is humble and, what's that mean, contrite in spirit? Uh, Maybe you've seen that before. Really, it means broken in spirit. If you think of the New Testament, when Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, that's the same general concept. But I want to dig a little deeper here for a minute. You know, this word here, contrite in spirit, it's, an adju- it's, it's modifying spirit. So we understand what a grateful spirit is or an antagonistic spirit. We understand that, that spirit concept. But what does it mean to be contrite in spirit? Well, this word is used three times in the Old Testament, uh, this time here, and then the other two are in uh, the book of 2 Samuel. Now, if you remember back to David, uh, David, as God was raising him up, he built a great friendship with a man named Jonathan, and they became close, close friends. Uh, They made a covenant with one another that they would honor each other's family, that if something happened to either one of them, the other one would care for uh, his family, that they would essentially be family. Well, as time went on, and you remember the story, Saul dies, Jonathan dies, and David becomes king. And there's a certain point where he reaches out and he asks, is there anyone left from the family of Saul? And uh, he was thinking of probably Jonathan in particular. Well, as it turns out that Jonathan did have a son, but he was a son that had been crippled. He had been dropped. He had uh, broken a leg. And think about it, in those days, there there wasn't a lot of medical ways to get some things reset. And so uh, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, was crippled. And for the rest of his life, he had to hobble along in different ways, be carried along. That word crippled is used two times in 2 Samuel to define Mephibosheth. What it's saying here in the text is that God looks with favor and esteem on a person who is crippled in spirit. Now think about being crippled. A crippled person does not have an artificial sense of self-sufficiency. You see, sometimes we build up this artificial sense that I'm, I'm bigger than I am. Everybody, you know, and we have all these things that we think about ourselves and what we hope other people think about us. But, you know, somebody who's crippled, especially think in an Old Testament sense, there's no hope of changing. You're kind of stuck with what you're either born with or your leg was broken and reset the wrong way. You're just kind of stuck with that forever. And there's a limp that he had to live with for the rest of his life. He did not have an artificial sense of his own like strength and power. Every step he took, every time he moved in any way, he was reminded that he was a broken person. Now, what does God look at? God's not looking at us to be broken because he likes us being broken. What he wants us to do is to acknowledge what we already are. The answer is every one of us are a sinner. Every one of us has sinned and chosen to do our own thing. And listen, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we're a broken person, a broken people. You see, what God is looking for is for people that can acknowledge what they are. Because God wants to bring his grace and his favor into our lives. That's what we need. 
But so many of us, we try to walk in such a way that the limp we actually have, nobody else can see it. That no one else can, I, I can't acknowledge what I really am, which is a broken person before God. When I think of this word here, contrite, contrite in spirit, what it really makes me think of is not just Mephibosheth, but back to Jacob. And Jacob had an encounter with God. And God, um, he wrestled with God. You can look this up in Genesis. And at the end of the battle, the, he's touched in his hip. And he has this limp that he carries with him. And Jacob carries this limp. And I want to call that a holy limp. Uh, think of kind of putting Jacob and Mephibosheth together, a sense of being crippled, a sense of having an, a, a sense of I can't walk without a limp or without being, having a sense of being crippled. Now, some people will turn and say, I want, to, I want everything about my life. To, I don't want to think about my past. I don't want to think about my weaknesses. I don't want to think about the areas of sin in my life. I don't want to think about brokenness. I just want to pretend like everything's okay. And God looks at that and goes, yeah, not impressive, not impressive. What God wants us to learn to do is to walk with a holy limb, to realize that we do carry a limb, that we are crippled, that we are broken, and that we need him. You know, God does not look down on our brokenness or our crippledness. He does not look down on it with a sense of despising us. It's quite the opposite. The person who's actually able to embrace their holy limb He longs to come and sit by us and to walk through life with us and to help us through our brokenness and to support us and to care for us. God is not looking to reject us. God is looking to pour his mercy on us. Here's what God esteems. Here's the second thought I want to give you. God esteems your commitment to lower yourself by acknowledging your brokenness before him. You know, it's hard to keep up appearances, isn't it? You know, so many of us try to keep up appearances. We go into certain social settings. We want everybody to think something or not think something about us, right? So we try to live, to kind of keep these appearances up. We got to keep up appearances over here and over here. And I want these people to think that I'm cool. And I, you know, it'd be nice if that was limited to junior high, but it isn't, is it? No, it's, it, it's something we go through throughout life. We want to keep up appearances. You know, it's hard to keep appearances with the people around us. It's impossible to keep up appearances with God because God looks straight through it. God sees the fake. God sees the fake news we're trying to make and give to other people to try to impress him. It doesn't impress God. In fact, actually, it's quite the opposite. God is not impressed by our sense of, I got it all together Uh, This is who I am. It's not really who I am, but it's why I want you to think that I am. Listen, confession, confession of brokenness invites God's mercy. Confession of brokenness, confessing who I really am. God, I'm a sinner. God, I feel anger at times toward people I maybe shouldn't. Or God, I don't feel like forgiving certain people. Or God, I, I, I have a past and I don't always know what to do. And sometimes that even confuses me about what I should do next. And God, sometimes I'm afraid to tell my kids about what I've done in the past because I don't want them to do the same thing. And I, I, I want other people around me to think that I'm a good Christian when in fact I'm massively struggling with 
depression or bad habits or whatever the case may be, listen, God, God wants you to confess who you really are. That invites the mercy of God. That impresses God. You know, a person that walks with a holy limp who embraces their brokenness, listen, those are the people that are real. I think we all want to be around people that are real. We want to be around people who aren't putting an artificial picture of who they are in front of us all the time. We want people that live real lives. Now, how do we do that? People that live real lives are people that repent. They're people that forgive. They're people that are filled with hope. They repent differently. They forgive differently. They hope differently. Listen, there is a, those who are broken and are willing to be real about who they really are, not only with God, but with everyone around them, there is a sweet a softness, a peace and joy that only comes from the Holy Spirit. I would appeal to you, that's the life you want to live. A life that's filled with sweetness and joy, not a sense of fakeness and artificiality. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. We hope you were encouraged in your own relationship with Jesus Christ today. If you would like to hear other messages from Pastor Luke Aarons, please subscribe to our Vertical Church Columbus podcast. There you will find an extensive collection of sermons from Vertical Church worship services and other unique content from Pastor Luke, which will enrich your faith and point you to Christ. You can find the podcast by searching Vertical Church Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for spending part of your day with us. As always, we hope you'll join us here tomorrow at the very same time for your meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.